0: And we are live. This is fantastic
1: <laughs> fiction at
0: KGB. <laughs> <I'm>, uh, <laughs> and this is Ellen Dat- I co-host the series with Ellen Datlow and tonight's guests are Priya Sharma and Justin C. Key. Uh, we always start a little bit early just to kind of have a relaxed feel with the, uh, with the show. We're not gonna start the readings till uh, about 7.05 p.m. Eastern time, maybe 7.10 or so, so um, relax. Pull up a chair, get a drink, school, and uh, thanks for joining us. So um, Justin and Priya, how, how are you both doing tonight? Or, Well, we're, you guys are in in very different time zone. So Justin, you're in L.A., and Priya, you're in... Are you in London, or where are you?
1: No, I'm near Liverpool. I'm in the Liverpool. northwest of England, yeah.
0: All right, so it's... Yeah,
1: yeah it's nearly midnight here.
2: Oh,
0: wow. Yeah. And then, Justin, you're... It's what? What Almost... So everybody drinking?
3: My, well, I'm almost finished. I may get more of my uh, bison grass vodka.
0: You, a, you're mixing uh, chemicals there?
3: A little chemical. <laughs> right. Thing. Yes.
0: I probably shouldn't say this sure. on the air, but in, in college, we, we made a, a pipe out of... Um, like, uh, what do they call it? A graduated pipette.
2: <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs>
0: like I, I had a friend, he just turned it on the side. He's like, you know, if you put a screen on it, you can make a pipe out of it. Like, oh, yeah. he's like, and you can measure exactly how much you inhale. Hi,
3: Amy. Amy's here. Hi, David.
0: Here we go. Amy Hi, David. And, David.
3: and David. Hello, guys.
0: Well, thanks Hello. for joining us. Your stout looked good, Matt. How did you know I was drinking a stout? I didn't say that on the air, did I? Um,
3: Hi, Tyler. So mean, it, it looks amazing. He's going to get me a bottle of that. It looks really good. It's
0: called Technophobia. Hot
3: and chocolate. It's, oh. It's, it's actually the,
0: there's no chocolate in it. Um, it's Imperial.
3: You have getting hot chocolate, they're drinking. Oh, oh,
0: oh. <laughs> it's Imperial Stout aged in rum, vanilla, and rye whiskey barrels. You mentioned it on Facebook, Matt? That's where Amy said she saw it. Oh, oh, right, of course. Yes, before the reading, I posted a picture with banana and cinnamon. It's um thirteen percent. It's very good. I got to pace myself. Um, but yeah.
2: So bourbon. I may or may not have chugged some coffee earlier, but right now bourbon. I have like some some water if I need it off screen.
3: I have water on screen right here. Finished my vodka. I may get more vodka. I may not. I'm not sure. <laughs> It like put me to sleep because I've been not sleeping as well as I'd like.
0: Allison says, "Sign me up for some hot chocolate, but hold the alcohol." But Allison, That's
1: are you hot. gonna have like whipped cream on it and the whole shaban?
0: Right, with little marshmallows, right?
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. Maybe Amy's drinking mead.
0: Nice. Uh, Where did you get the mead, Amy? Um, just uh, yeah, there's like a little bit of a delay between. Uh, when we actually speak and when they hear us speak, because we're doing a live stream. But so if we, if we, there's a delay in the response, it's, uh, that's, that's why.
3: Justin, do you see Diana has your bookshelves? Yeah. I was just about to um, actually uh, had
2: a meeting with her, I think recently, and I noticed that as well. Um, mm. I they oh, look I have
3: good. new, I have new background <laughs> in my new apartment, cartons. Oh.
2: <laughs>
0: your first um, live KGB uh, from your new place.
3: Yes, it is. Although I have no deck. I have not I've only put one piece of art up in the bathroom. Something that I realized should go there. Other than that, I'm not prepared to do that because things are moving anyway. In this living room, things are going to be moving around. So I have to figure out where I'm going to put art. And I moved my Dodo originally my Dodo. Originally I had my Dodo up there, but I moved it. Sorry like you your dodo i have a yeah i have a bronze dodo oh, right, it's, now, okay. it's now on my side by side over there yes i have a bronze dodo made commissioned by me from a young sculptor. well she was a young then; she's not young now uh clee richardson who made the shrike for dan simmons oh cool yeah so and it's and, I, and by the way there's i don't know if you can hear it, but there's a yapping dog next door a little oh, yappy dog I a little <laughs> that I have not seen, but I hear every once in a while.
0: Oh man, does it keep you up at night?
3: No, it's not that bad. I, I okay. ignore it mostly. All right. But oh, it just yeah. I, yes,
0: I did hear at that time. Yeah,
3: it's like shut up, yappy dog. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh,
1: oh okay. yeah, more marshmallows, the better. Yeah,
3: I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Honeys delivers to Brooklyn and Queens. What um mead i'm not sure what, a, would, like, what is mead it's got honey in it and it's stuff
0: it's honey wine it's fermented honey right
3: is it is that what it is i think so i guess so it's an affiliated bar honeys <laughs> yeah
2: i look forward to like the the blend of, of live and streaming like in the sorry this is live and streaming in person and streaming
3: yeah it'll be interesting we'll see if we can do that yeah,
0: yeah so i i gotta see i have it like an old old phone that i'm hoping to just like once we go back in the bar just stick it you know on a little tripod and film film the readers but then i can't do all these fancy titles and you know
3: not the jerk anymore. jack doesn't come by anymore he sits on my lap there's no couch for him to sit next to me and walk on me he will sit on my lap occasionally though yeah Uh, and be very good
0: so the cats are are uh Getting comfortable in the new place?
3: Climbing on my stove. They go on my stove. I'm in the pot and I'm thinking, this is a really bad habit. I don't want you climbing on my stove across the lights, you know, across the.
0: Well, just turn your stove room. on and then they'll get a nasty burn and they won't do it anymore. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Yeah,
3: oh, no, it's like, it just makes me really anxious. Like, I don't want you on my stove, stupid cats.
2: Yeah. <laughs> How many cats are you
3: Two. Sophie the lovely. Sophie the little. Delicate creature who is, eats like a bird, and Jack the Jerk, who is a big boy and very can be really pushy.
0: <laughs> he's a good cat, but he likes to bite and scratch.
3: He doesn't scratch. He just bites occasionally. And he's been biting much less.
0: Okay. Uh, it's 7 o'clock on the dot, Eastern Time. Uh, if you're just joining us, this is Fantastic Fiction at KGB. I'm Matthew Kressel. I co-host the series with Ellen Datlow. Uh, normally, it's at the KGB bar in Manhattan, but because of coronavirus and the New York City shutdown, we've been doing it online for, oh boy, nine months. This is crazy. I remember when we first started. Yeah. Oh,
3: there has been no house tour, except for behind me. That's it. Right. I'm on a desktop, so I, unless I pick up the desktop, we're not gonna get it. And besides, it's many boxes. I still have like 20, 25 boxes. Um,
0: uh, tonight's guests are Priya Sharma and Justin C. Key, uh, we are going to start the readings in a little while, probably about 10 or maybe, maybe a little <laughs> bit earlier, uh, just waiting for people to uh, come into the bar, so to speak. Um, so yeah, uh, just a reminder that um, uh, Fantastic Fiction at KGB is a monthly reading series, hosted by Ellen and myself. We have a mailing list. Check it out. Uh, kgbfantasticfiction.org go to that link and click on uh mailing list and you can join our, our list and we, we only send out like two or three emails a month just to remind you of the upcoming reading so uh please do check that out uh also just a reminder i'll mention this later when we do the official intro but um the kgb bar is this awesome bar in um in the um East Village of Manhattan and you know it posts um you know before the coronavirus shutdown there there was like a, a literary event almost every night. Uh, Joyce
3: Carol Lopes was on one last night. <coughs> she mentioned it on Twitter. I don't know who she was with. She did a reading at the bar? Yeah. Well, virtually, yeah.
0: Virtual bar. Okay. Yeah, so, at KCB. Yeah, but it's a great bar and actually um let me see if I can put it in the background. Yeah. So Al- this,
3: Al- this, Al- oh, sorry.
0: This photo here is actually from the bar. It's like this. It's, it's you know, a Soviet-themed uh, bar. And and anyway, so if you can support them, they they've been you know every business in, in all over the country in the world mm. uh, has been has been suffering because of this. So if you can if you can afford to give them a you know a couple bucks, the price of a drink, we'd we'd really appreciate that. Keep them going. Uh, the link is also in the YouTube description, and then um, the other thing too is that the, the series itself, um, the KGB Fantastic Fiction series, uh, we also um, it costs us a little each month to run. You know, we we um, we give the authors a little stipend. Um, we right now we're paying for uh, we actually give a, a fair amount to the the bar itself every month uh we were when we were in person taking the authors out to dinner afterwards and we owe you, uh, you we tipped, tipped yeah we're gonna pay you guys so so basically um you know if you if you donate to us the money just goes to the series it's like uh you know 100 goes into the series so if, if it's is,
3: Nightfire, is Nightfire sponsoring it?
0: Mm-hmm. uh not this month so we are working with uh, core.com and, and nightfire. I can't really say much too much about it, but uh, yeah, in, in terms of uh, sponsorship,
3: right? Oh, and by the way, someone Allison was asking if we can meet the kitties, that's up to them. <laughs> Sophie, probably not, but you never know. Jack might make an appearance.
0: Hi, Chris. Hi, Gay, Hi, Chris. So, yeah, people are joining in. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, um, you know, one of the things, um, that I guess we could say is good about about the situation is that we're now able to have people who may not normally have been able to come to New York City, right? So Priya in in, in England and Justin in LA, and and uh, you know we've had other authors, uh, you know, um, Benjamin Rosenbaum in Switzerland, although he was supposed to come to to New York, but you know we're trying to, to William get.
3: Gibson, we had Gibson on last night. Yeah, you
0: know, William Gibson. You know we're trying to get authors that we wouldn't get to would have, never which is um I think it's great. I mean I think it's it's great that we could have you guys. I mean um, I mean we'd love to have you in person in the city as well but uh, Thanks yeah, for having us. yeah of course
2: yeah it's been it's been uh it's been hi Eileen the, the benefits of kind of like the the remote like being able to 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 go to con I, I say this year anyway that I was gonna start going to cons. And then it became a lot easier when it was, like, a click away, you know? Um,
3: It's like like no one has to worry about the weather anymore. Oh, yeah, it's a snowstorm. Big deal. As long as the power doesn't go out, we can still have our reading and people show up.
0: I feel like there are always snowstorms during the KGB. Wasn't there one last year? I forgot what month it was. but I
3: don't remember.
0: And then I remember going on the bus and train into the bar and then I'm like, oh no one's gonna show up and it was packed. It was crowded. Uh
3: okay. You just never know.
0: Yeah. So yeah it's seven oh five.
3: There'll be art behind me, but actually this is not my permanent spot. This is opposite from where I'm gonna be when I get my desk. So it'll be another wall <laughs> the other direction. But yeah. I'll put art up.
0: Carol, you said there was a monster storm last year. If you can remember, I don't remember what month that was. No. It was <laughs> earlier in the year. Um, remember when the zombie apocalypse happened during KGB good times. Yeah, I mean, there was a period where like something weird would happen every week there. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> um, yeah. The uh, giants would be stomping on the ceiling.
0: Right. Do you remember the- so cheer-
1: is, everyone that, is everyone that's tuning in now, all regulars at the bar?
3: Some of them could be. I mean, I mean that is. Nyleen lives in Seattle. Oh right. Okay. Um, I don't know. Where Allison. Allison, where are you from? Where's Allison? Yeah,
0: everybody, uh chime in where you're from, so we can do a. Uh, okay, or something. Or something. Um, we'll <laughs> win the award for the furthest uh, away. Yeah, from the I don't world. know
3: where Jane is from. Mars.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. There would be a little bit of a time delay, but
2: that would be cool. Yeah, yeah a little bit. <laughs>
0: People so are- yeah, uh it's about seven after. If you're just oh, tuning in, this is yeah. Fantastic Fiction KGB, tonight's guest. Clog
3: dancing guests yes.
0: Clog dancing, yeah.
3: From Weehawk in New Jersey. I know that. Oh, Anna is from Queens. LA? Oh, uh, Allison is from LA, okay.
0: Queens, another LA.
3: Another oh LA is a popular. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I had my drink, and I don't think I'd better have more right now.
0: All right, Birmingham, Alabama. All I right. had my
3: buffalo bison grass vodka.
0: That by is that the same one that Dan always pours us? Yes,
3: yes. I have two. I have a little bit of it left in a bottle. I have a whole bottle in the freezer. That's those are the bottles I left in the fridge when I defrosted it, and was worried that the heat would harm it, but it didn't. <laughs> so.
0: The bison grass—is it just a flavoring, or do they actually ferment it?
3: Uh, there's some kind of grass, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. It's in Polish. I I don't know what it says about how it's is it Polish made. Polish it.
0: or Russian? Polish. Polish. Okay.
3: Yeah. I mean, did the
1: brand. There's have- Justin. I-
0: hmm.
1: Someone saying specifically
2: hello to Justin. Oh yeah, yeah. I was waiting for the uh, the time to get in there, but hi <laughs> Nicholas. Hi Jelani. <laughs> <laughs> St.
0: Louis. St. Louis, Philly,
2: awesome.
3: Okay.
0: New Jersey. Well, hello everyone. Thank you for joining
3: Yeah. I mean, I'll get the bottom during the intermission to see it, but it's gonna be in Polish, so I'm not it's not gonna help.
0: Well, we might have some Polish speakers watching. They could- That's possible,
3: and they can say what it's made with.
0: Actually, all I have to do is go across, like this neighborhood is a lot
3: My of- friend Conrad once got me the wrong one, a different grass, and it didn't taste as good. Hmm. I mean, wheatgrass, grass. do I forget what it was, but that's not bison grass, that's the wrong one. It doesn't taste the same.
0: Hello, but- Boston. Hello, Gary from
3: Boston. Hello. Hey, Hello, Karen. hi. Hello. Christine Newlike So yeah.
0: So um, should we start? Yeah, I think I think we, we should start. Um, all right. So welcome everybody. Uh, this is uh, you're watching Fantastic Fiction at KGB. I'm Matthew Kressel, I co-host a series with Tim <laughs> Datlow. Uh, tonight's guests are Priya Sharma and Justin C. Key. Uh, they're both going to read uh, for you tonight. And then after the reading, uh, we're going to do a Q&A with them. So uh, please stick around for that. Um, if you don't know about Fantastic Fiction at KGB, uh, we are a monthly <laughs> fiction reading series held on the third Wednesday of every month, uh, normally at the KGB bar in Manhattan. And now we're doing it because of COVID times live on YouTube. Uh, The series was started in the late 90s by Terry Bisson and Alice K. Turner. Uh, They were attempting to bring together mainstream writers with writers of speculative fiction uh, in order to show in Alice Turner's words that at a certain level, they were plowing exactly the same field. Uh, We're mostly pretty much uh, 99% speculative fiction now, but we do occasionally have people that are kind of cross-genre. Uh, in the spring of 2000, editor Ellen Datlow took over for Alice Turner. And August 2002, Gavin Grant, publisher of Small Beer Press, stepped in for Terry Bisson when Terry moved to California. And I stepped in for Gavin in April of 2008. Uh, please check out our mailing list, kgbfantasticfiction.org. Um, so I said this before, but I just I think it's important to just remind people um, The KGB bar itself is a Soviet-themed bar on the Lower East Side of Manhattan that uh, used to serve as a speakeasy-style meeting place for Ukrainian socialists during the McCarthy period. Uh, Before the virus shut down, the bar was host to literary events most nights of the month. Um, New York Times called it one of the best literary venues in New York City. Uh, In the 20 years of hosting fantastic fiction, the the KGB bar has never once charged a cover uh, we usually ask the audience to buy a drink hard or soft to support the bar, uh, but since they're not open, we're asking viewers, if you can, to support uh, the bar by sending you know, the price of a drink or whatever you want to give, if you can, uh, through Fundly. And then the, the link's on the screen there. Uh, the owner promises to, to give the bartenders a uh, percentage of that as well. Uh, the other thing we should also mention is that I was saying this before is that, you know, our series itself costs a little bit of money to run. Uh, we did a fundraiser like three years ago and we're starting to run out. I think we have maybe a little less than a year left. So if you can, if you want to support us and keep the series going for longer.
3: Don't make us do another Kickstarter.
0: (laughs) Yeah, please don't make us do another Kickstarter. Uh, (laughs) You can at the the link below there's a link where you can uh, donate via PayPal if you want. Thank you, Carol. Yeah. So um this is our is this our ninth live stream or is this our tenth? I'm losing track. I don't remember I don't know. Um, yeah, we're we've been doing a lot of um, a lot of these live streams and it's it's great it's because March. We started, um this is great but, yeah we started in March because we're able to get uh authors who, you know, might not have been able to come to New York City. So um, we're excited to have uh, Priya, who's in, who's in England, and Justin, who's in uh, L.A., join us. You know, uh, very far away from each other in time zones, but uh, with us tonight. So that's awesome. Uh, so like I said, our, our, uh, our readers tonight are going to be uh, Justin C. Key and Priya Sharma. Justin will read first, then Priya, and then uh, we'll do a QA. and a so you guys think of some uh, good questions to ask them afterward. Uh, so let's let's get into it. Um, let me get your bio up here, Justin. One second. Justin C. Key is a speculative fiction writer and psychiatrist. His stories have appeared or are forthcoming in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, Strange Horizons, Tor.com, Escape Pod, and Crossed Genres. His novel, his novella, Spider King, will be released by Serial Box in early 2021. He's currently working on a near-future novel inspired by his medical training. He lives in Los Angeles. Here's Justin.
2: All right. All right. Thank you all. Thank you for having me here. Um, I'm excited to be here. It's always been a dream. You know, when I was living in New York and going to KGB, I'm glad I'm able to do it remotely. Um, so I'll be reading from, uh, from two of my stories uh, in the first is uh, a scene from The Perfection of Teresa Watkins, out now from Tor.com. As some background to the scene, Darius and Teresa are a Black married couple in near future, and when Teresa dies of cancer, Darius uses resurrection services to bring her back in a donor body from incarcerated volunteers. Only Teresa's donor body is a white woman. Darius' friends just planted doubt in his mind about the legitimacy of the whole thing. Teresa was in the shower when I got home. Jerry's ridiculous notion of trained, desperate inmates echoed loud enough to nearly push me into the bathroom. I needed to see her. Those eyes would calm me, but I resisted. I changed into shorts and a t-shirt and sat on the edge of the bed. A flash of light caught my eye. Teresa's phone lit with a notification from the bedside table. My fingernails bit my palms. My teeth ground until it hurt. Fuck you, Jerry. You goddamn asshole. I snatched up the phone. She had a text message. From who? I tried my name as the password, and when that failed, considered my name plus my birthday digits, then stopped. Too many attempts, and the system would wipe itself. I began to put the phone back when I noticed what had been beneath it. A hardcover book sported a female prisoner with both hands reaching from behind bars under the title, the crisis of women in the US prison system. I touched the cover, wondered, and went back to the shower door. Faint whispers coated the sound of falling water. I waited and listened, trying to make sense of it. Was that weeping? The water trickled off. Any other sounds died with it. Curtains opening, the flap of loose cloth. I imagined her drying off. The door opened. Teresa started. Jesus, Darius. She turned to wipe the tears from her towel with her towel. Are you trying to win the Creepster Award? What happened? I said. You scared the shit out of me. That's what happened. She pushed past and sat on the bed. You were crying. I heard it. Teresa mouthed a curse. It's nothing, babe. Really. I don't want you to worry. Look, I got wine. We can play a game, watch a movie, quiz each other, whatever you like. Talk to me first. She dried her hair in silence and stared at an old picture of us on the dresser. She bit her lip as her eyes welled. I went to the wine and spirit store. I couldn't help but smile a little. Was that all? The blonde middle-aged manager there had always been cold to us, as if we'd accidentally wandered into her high-class establishment while looking for a corner store to buy lottery scratch-off tickets. That woman will mess up a wet dream on a good day. What did she say to you? Teresa shook her head. Her face leaked tears. That's the thing. She was nice. Nice. Showed me the new wines they just got from Italy and everything. As if I belonged there. She never treated me like that when I was... She broke into sobs. I pulled her close. She smelled fresh, like she always did, out of the shower, but in a different way. She's an asshole, babe. Fuck her. It's not that. It's everything. I haven't even been back to the school to see my kids. We can go tomorrow then, I said. Get your job back. You'll teach, I'll code. It'll be like you never left. Don't you get it? I can't ever go back. Those girls looked up to me. Now all I'd be telling them is they can grow up to be a white woman. She shook her head as she turned to look at our picture. I never knew you hated my skin. What? T- Teresa, I-, I didn't have a choice. I swear it was either this or I, I just wanted you back. I'm sorry. You're right. Teresa in my collar. I'm scared is all. I keep thinking you'll fall out of love with me, this new me, and send me back. Teresa, I would never. We have our second chance. That's That's all that matters. She searched my eyes with hers. What lived behind those whites? now streaked with red. I kissed her to drive the thoughts away, to stop my lips from asking about the phone or the book or when she would start being my Teresa again. When she kissed back, our mouths filled with salt and pain and fear. We moved slow. Both of us were strangers to Teresa's skin. i married her mind. The rest of her was something else. Our bodies didn't mesh like they once had. I rammed her nose with my forehead as I positioned on top of her She expelled me from inside her when she tried to squeeze me with her muscles. She burst into an infectious giggle in the middle of a kiss. I rolled to her side, laughing. We're like teenagers, she said. Moonlight through the window lit her face. Old, stiff teenagers. You gonna love what I got, girl, I joked as I slapped her ass. You ain't never had. At first, I thought I had slipped off the edge of the bed and was laughing even as the back of my head hit the wall. Sparking stars, laughter died. Teresa knelt on the bed, her salvaged eyes wide and twinkling even in the dark. Her hand danced with light as if encased with diamonds. I blinked and saw it was a sliver of moonlight on a long blade. I knew that reflection. I prayed to it almost every night during chemo before Teresa. Honey, baby, I said, what is this? She stayed perfectly still. Had her body taken the stance before? A threatened inmate in a maximum security prison? A different set of waves bouncing between her ears? How different, a voice asked. It sounded like Jerry's. I rose, careful to keep the moonlit blade in my sight. I'd let it sit atop the kitchen counter as a reminder of how low things had gotten, how far I'd come. When was the last time I'd seen it? I didn't remember it being so big. I inched forward. Teresa was a statue. When I was close enough, I touched her shoulder. Her body trembled. I suppressed my fight or flight instincts, a response I was particularly geared towards. My mind knew this was my wife, that I loved her, but it was having a hard time reconciling knowledge with perception. She tensed. For a terrible moment, I thought she was gonna attack. Our second chance at happily ever after, sliced down with the same dull blade from which Teresa had originally saved me. I responded by continuing forward. It's all I had to combat the urge to run. You're home, I said, you're safe. All at once, her fire went away. She fell into me sobbing. Her arm was limp at my side. The cold flat of the blade touched my stomach. I thought about gently taking it from her but decided against it. She continued to cry as we lay down on the bed, her body curved into mine. Her sobs carried her to sleep and finally silence. My arm numbed under her weight. My overextended neck had a painful crick, but I didn't move. It was another hour before I slid free and gently pulled the knife from her dreaming fingers. I crawled out of bed, went to the kitchen, and returned the blade to the holder's open slot. I vomited in the sink, and when my stomach had nothing left, popped a Xanax. I counted, meditated, traced the colored grooves in my remnant card as I waited for the benzo to do its job and went back down the hall. Dark bound whispers paused me at our bedroom door. I had heard these incoherent private mutterings before, after Teresa's cancer came back, and she decided to go off, decided to go off all her medications, including the antipsychotics. I pushed on the door to cause a creak. The whispering stopped. I let on my own. Teresa. Silence. Perhaps she was asleep. Perhaps I was the one hearing things. Climbed into bed, considered wrapping my arms around her, decided not to, and closed my eyes. I only, what, I only want to know what happened, I said. What were you thinking? Why were you thinking it? Can we just not talk about it, please? The night had been strings of light sleep broken by the same clenching thought what the hell was I going to do with her? Her schizophrenia at its worst bore crippling paranoia, but never violence. Had this been from that? Or was that something deeper? Resurrection's policy was clear. Any psychiatric problems demanded reporting. But then what? To the state of New York, Teresa was property. The original Teresa was dead, and the donor inmate had essentially signed away her right to live until regulations on the rapidly evolving technology of neural computing arose if resurrection thought teresa was a threat their only obligation was to offer to offer a refund they'd get rid of her i can't fix this if i don't know what the problem is some things don't need fixing she said i'm a coder everything needs fixing that's hilarious have you tried stand up do you think i want to hurt you No, babe, it's not like that. You're hearing voices then. Is it her? Is it the donor? What? No. Then who? Silence. I heard you whispering to them last night. Teresa would tell me. She slammed her fist against the coffee table. I am Teresa. Okay, let's just calm down, I said, licking my lips. You came at me with a knife. A knife. I saw the prison book. Did you have some type of memory? A flashback, maybe, from the prison? She looked at me and I knew. Damn it, I thought. What am I gonna do with you? So that was from The Perfection of Teresa Watkins, which is available on tour.com right now. Here we go. Now, the next piece that I'm going to be reading is uh, from Spider King. Uh, it's a novella that will be out from a uh, cereal box in quarter one, 2021. So in just a few months, and this is from the beginning. The burning itch of something foreign bur- burrowing under Darnell's wrist came in the middle of his first job interview after being released from jail. He shifted in the undersized suit he'd bought from the thrift store the day before. The experimental medication had done little for his anxiety. This new sensation didn't help. Joy Butler, the general manager of Delaney Street Restaurant, sat on the other side of the old chipped wooden desk and asked him a basic question that sounded lifted from the same website Darnell had used to prepare. He had read that taking long, introspective pauses makes an applicant seem more thoughtful, trustworthy, and dependable. So he used the opportunity to look down at his wrist, which he'd been absentmindedly picking at a scab. A piece of too-thick skin hung loose. The edges of the mottled flesh underneath quivered. The itch deepened. Daryl? Darnell, he said, looking up. He smiled, off cue. Right, sorry. Darnell, I'd ask what you would do. I would first listen to the customer, see their perspective, and attempt to come up with a solution. If I'm I'm unable to de-escalate the situation, I will find the manager, you, or another senior member of staff. Shit, to verbatim. Joyce sat back, considering him. Darnell considered himself too, but in a different way. The tip of his index finger rubbed his wrist. There was an obvious divot now. Around it, numb cold, he pressed into it. Something pressed back. How long have you been out, Joyce said. Three days. You move fast, that shows motivation. You heard about how we work here? Yes, he said. I've heard a lot. Given opportunities of people no one else will, shit's dope. Heat filled his ears. I-, I mean, she smiled, and for the first time, Darnell relaxed. You can be yourself. The customers come to see what you can become, not to feel like they're visiting a prison. She leaned in. Darnell resisted the strong urge to pull his arm to safe hiding. Everyone here knows what it's like to be locked up. From the bottom up. Even you? Especially me. But you're, uh, she threw her head back in a laugh. Women can crime too, you know. They have whole prisons full of them. Call them women's prisons. Went away because I killed my husband. Oh, Darnell said. He looked back down at his wrist. Mistake. The skin moved. I'm just fucking with you. Drug charge. Her smile withered. You doing okay? I am. You clean? There was no judgment in the question. She understood what it meant not to be. He saw it in the thin skin beneath her eyes, the slight coat of grime on her teeth, even the frequency with which she shifted positions, a sign of her subconscious continuing to rebel against sobriety. I am. I got a second chance. I'm not messing with that. I'm just nervous. Don't be. You can start Monday. Darnell forgot about his wrist. Had he just heard her correctly? Delaney, with its full benefits, decent salary, and flexibility for parole and court dates, was at the top of a long list of potential jobs, a list Darnell had planned to venture far down. I'll take that look as an acceptance. Hell yes! Sorry. Yes. Any way I can start earlier? She waved her hand. I'll pay you through the weekend. Get whatever you need in order. I'd rather you rested and clear-headed. You got clothes? I'll be ready, ma'am. Don't call me ma'am. Boss lady? She smiled, which was a relief. Sure. When they were done with the paperwork, he asked her to show him to the bathroom. Darnell waited long enough for her heel clicks to disappear down the hall before slowly turning the lock. You got a job, you son of a bitch, he said to the mirror. At some point during his interview, he would broken into a sweat. Joy likely still withheld judgment on Darnell's sobriety. This look wasn't helping, but he was clean, always had been, and he now had ample opportunity to combat any initial suspicions. And then he felt it, the pressure. Darnell inspected his wrist over the sink. The dried and curling flap of skin tittered. It reminded him of some unseen creature rummaging through an overturned garbage bin. For the moments before it revealed itself as a possum or a cat, it could be anything the imagination cared to conjure. Darnell pinched the dead skin and pulled. It came off without pain. He had uncovered what looked like a black and brown mole with rough, scalloped borders. Then, movement. Thistled lines bled from the center, erratic in their dance. Antenna? No, too many of them. Legs? They tasted the air. Darnell clamped his hand over his wrist and pressed it down onto the damp sink. Fuck, he said repeatedly, fuck, fuck, fuck. His skin tightened with each utterance of the word. What was that? A parasite? That fucking jail. He took a deep breath and lifted his hand. A small bundle of legs sprang out of his skin. Darnell flung his arm hard enough to send a bolt of pain from shoulder to elbow. A black and brown dot scurried across the bathroom floor into one of the stalls. What the hell? Or But Darnell knew the what, if not the why or the how. A spider had just popped itself out of his goddamn wrist. He gave some attention to the divot left behind in his skin, dry, hard, and many shades darker than the healthy brown surrounding it. Beneath the stall door, a tiny pair of eyes caught and reflected the wan light. He vaguely remembered that spiders had many indistinguishable eyes. This standout pair, however, gave the spider a deep curious look, as if it were trying to figure him out. Darnell left as fast as he could. Weed is legal now, you know. Casey said before licking the edge of the cigarette paper and neatly folding it over. He extracted a long, arduous puff from his vape pen as he finished. Casey was a delicate blunt roller. Darnell suspected he enjoyed the craft more than the high. They sat just outside his apartment building, inviting the world to see. Legal for them, Darnell said. Not for us. Craig caught a drug charge just last week. For real? His cell was across from mine. He's up for 10 years. Must have been more than weed. They can still bust you for selling it. We got to make money somehow. Good luck getting hired with the record. Casey glanced at him, ashamed, but Darnell pretended like he hadn't heard. Casey didn't owe him anything, even if Darnell had taken the fall for him. I might have a job, Darnell said. You fucking with me? I'm not fucking with you. You heard of this place called Delaney Street? Casey jumped up indicating that he'd very much heard of it. Yo, that place is legit. You get health care and everything. Casey brushed nail shoulder. Look at you, all employed and shit. We hitting the club tonight, bottle service? Slow down, I haven't gotten paid yet. But you're as good as paid, live a little. Don't count it until it's in your hand. Your moms used to say that, right? Casey handed over the half-smoked blunt. You can count this, though. Three puffs to celebrate. Darnell took it, looked at it. Just then, a black and white turned the corner and slowed. Casey took the blunt, pulled back on it, and let out a large cloud of smoke. The cop rolled to a stop at the corner. The headlights weren't on. You wildin', Darnell said. They can't do anything to us, Casey said. Still, they went inside. Casey lived on the third floor of a walk-up with one of his boyfriends. The burn in Darnell's legs and throat reminded him that he hadn't exercised since before the arrest. The itch grew even still, demanding attention above all the rest. He fingered his wrists, the divot there, and thought of those curious alien eyes. You ever been bit? Darnell said as they entered the apartment. By a cop? No, fool. You know, by a spider or some shit. Have I ever had a spider bite? You sure you're not high? I think I got bit. Bad. Let me see. Casey examined the wound with unexpected care. Looks like an STD. On my wrist? I've seen freakier. Doesn't look like a bite, though. It hurt. Looks like it hurts. No, it's it's numb, actually. Yeah, go to the doctor. You can go to a doctor, right? Casey threw his jacket onto the love seat that was already bar- bur- buried under an assortment of clothes. He had a never he had never cared much about straightening up. He kept the place clean at least, if not easily navigable. Casey scratched an area of the couch free of clothes, adding to the love seat's burden. Of course I can. I was released, I didn't escape. Sorry, I'm not up on the rules. Casey looked at him, curious. What? So, you fucked the judge or something? What kind of question is that? No parole meeting, no curfew, you didn't even see prison. You were found with a Glock and fentanyl, both yours, and I love you for it, but you already had the first two strikes. They should have sent you away. The prosecutor must have liked you, or didn't give a fuck, or, or what? Or you made a deal you don't want to tell me about. Casey was scrolling through his phone, but his eyes watched Darnell. You didn't sign up for one of them studies, did you? That's exactly what he'd done. I can't talk about it. Or what? Or they'll send me back. Casey feigned looking around. Who's going to hear you? Darnell shrugged. They said if I talked about the details, they'd know and I'd go back. And that's fucked up. They should have never passed that law. You don't even vote. Nigga, I know people who vote. My point stands. Who facing hard time wouldn't become a government guinea pig for freedom? I'm sorry, man. Don't be, Darnell said. They gave me some meds. That's it. Don't even have to take them anymore. He almost told him about the injection, but thought better of it. I just have to stay out of trouble for a year. Then I'm free for life. That is, unless you take me on another of your joy. Rise. They both saw it at the same time. The spider was thick bodied, much more so than the usual spinely legged dwarfs hiding in bathroom corners or clinging to starved webs on plastic houseplants. The spider stood rooted in the middle of the table. Darnell was once again struck by the unconscionable depth of its gaze. How long had it been there, waiting to be seen? Look at that little fucker, his friend said. Thick smoke filled the room. Casey slowly grabbed his sneaker and lifted it high. The spider didn't move. Darnell snatched the shoe from Casey's hand just as he was bringing it down. Casey stumbled onto the table. The spider jumped back an inch, straightened its two front legs, and slapped them against the wood. Casey rolled around, purple in the face. He reached for his shoe. Darnell pulled it away. Yo, what's good? Nothing. Just... Darnell grabbed an empty red cup and upended it over the spider. Casey stared at him as he slid a magazine under the cup. Darnell opened the front door, went downstairs with his catch, and freed it onto the curb. The spider chittered about, disoriented, and then faced him. Shoo, Darnell said, Go on." To his surprise, the spider immediately obeyed. It scurried into the grass. Beyond, the black and white was still there, parked across the street. It's headlights on. Casey was waiting for him inside, eyebrows raised in inquiry. Life is short, Darnell said. Okay, Captain Planet, I got to go, life being short and all. You trying to roll? Nah, I got stuff to do. Get ready for Monday. Oh, working-ass Negro, you need clothes? I look like a cancer patient wearing your clothes. Better than a convict. Hey, man. Thank you. Stop. No, I mean it. I know we grew up with that snitches get stitches shit, but I never expected it. Every nigga on this block would have ratted me out in a heartbeat, but you get out of here with that shit. No, for real. That's ride or die shit right there. And if you want me to love spiders, I will. I'll fuck the shit out of some spiders for you, man. Thank you. So that's from uh, Spider King, which will be out in Cereal Box and a them
3: up. Sounds great. Thank you. That was so good.
0: <laughs> great readings. Thank you. Yes, thank you. So uh, we're gonna take a really short break, uh, just five minutes, and then we'll be back with uh, Priya Sharma. So uh, please stick around.
1: Can I just say a quick hi, I can see Mimi is on the on the list there. And also um, Scott Edelman.
2: <laughs>
0: yes.
1: Oh,
3: yeah. oh, fantastic. That's That's fantastic Scott's here. Okay. Yes.
0: All right. We'll be back in five. Hi there. Hi, I just had a look outside. The snow is really coming down. You just
3: had I want to look.
0: Yeah, we're um, in the Northeast U.S. Here, if you're not in the Northeast, we're having a blizzard.
3: I can't see it snowing, but I can see snow on the ground. I'm nine floors up.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's definitely it's definitely blowing out there. Uh, um, if you want to uh, get a copy of the perfection of Teresa Watkins, you can uh, go ahead and click that link there. And then uh, Justin, you said uh, that second reading no, is coming out a of the cereal box next month.
3: And that's the beginning of it? Okay. Yes. Very, very beginning. Cool. Okay. Wow.
2: Awesome. And you're a brilliant
1: reader as well,
2: Justin. Cool. It's all the nerves. It's all the nerves. You know, I just no, uh,
3: no. I'm nervous. I'm. I'm nervous. 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 You're good. You're, good. you're, good. you're good. And I'm sure you'll be fine, Priya. Yeah. Are we Ready? Okay. To you. Welcome to the second half of our KGB Fantastic Fiction at KGB reading. Um, over the next few months, we plan to have January 20th, 2021, Lauren Buchis and Usman T. Malik. February 17th, Kathleen Jennings and Shveta Thakra. March 17th, 2021, Jeff Ford, Jeffrey Ford and Karen Warren. And uh, April 21st, Nella Hopkinson. And we'll see where we go from there. And if we're live or still or in person or still virtual. In the meantime, please welcome Priya Sharma. She is a short story writer whose collections, all the collection, all the fabulous beasts, won a British Fantasy Award and the Shirley Jackson Award. Her first novella, Orm Shadow from Tour, won a Shirley Jackson Award. When she's not writing, she works as a doctor in the UK. Please welcome Priya Sharma. Hi.
1: Thanks very much for having me here. Um, I'm a bit nervous after following Justin because he was fantastic. But anyway, this is a short story called Egg. Um, Paula Graham um, asked me to write something for the collection once upon a time, um, an original fairy tale. Um, so that's what I'm going to read. Um, it also appeared in my collection as well. Um, it's called Egg. I consider my egg, its speckled pattern, its curves, strange Waiting and remarkable calcium formation—that's both delicate and robust. It hurts, but I'm determined. The old had promised. I put my egg inside me. Hot water soothes my skin. It plasters my hair to my scalp and runs in rivulets down my back. I nurse the heavy feeling in my lower abdomen with my hand. Then comes a different sort of deluge. Blood trickles down my thigh and water carries it away and down the drain. It's expected. I've already urinated on a stick this morning and it's pronounced me without child. Disappointment has joined agony and blood on the same day of each month. I drop my towel into the laundry basket and dress. There's a sparrow on the balustrade, A blighted bird, one of many breeds decimated by predators, harsh winters and pestilence. The public were outraged by the loss of blue tits and robins, but sparrows are too nondescript to feature on calendars and cards. Another joins it, then a third. The trio perform an aerobatic display as if they don't already have my attention. A fourth, now a fifth, more, and they're a flock. I step onto the terrace, but they don't flee. They stay earthbound and hop around, leading me down the garden, the, down the steps to the lower garden. Past the tennis courts to the fresh green avenue of limes, over the stile and across the fields to the crumbling farm buildings at the edge of my estate. The bar, the sparrows enter through a broken panel. The rusty hinges whine and creak as I pull the door open. The old hag lives on a bed of moldy hay, twigs, moss, newspaper and woolen hooks. She squats rather than sits. Her irises are covered with a monkey shroud and she wears layers of white, each stained and, stained and torn like a demented virgin bride. A sparrow lands on her upturned hand. The hag brings it to her face and peers at it with opaque eyes, listening intently as if to a song I can't hear before it flies up to the beams above. We have an audience up there blackbirds, starlings, jays, sparrows, falcons and a wide variety of owls jostle together for space having set aside the differences. Who are you? That's a rude greeting for a guest. The hag's voice has a peculiar melody rising and falling in the wrong places. Guest implies an invitation. I'm here at your request. I'm sick of you asking. Request? I've never seen you before. And I have you thrown off for trespassing. You've been hard to ignore. You're crying out with want. I want for nothing. Liar, the ache's consuming you. There's nothing you can give me. Not even motherhood. You can't give me that, can't I? Then a sly smile crosses her face. You tried the usual ways. It didn't work. Perhaps she didn't try hard enough. I have, not lacking in partners and willing potential fathers. I have fibroids and severe endometriosis. I sound bitter. My pelvis contains a tangled mess of lumps and adherences that render my reproductive tract defunct. I'm so outraged by my body's betrayal. It's failed in its most basic of female functions. Can't the quacks help? What do you think? My specialist had stressed that my conditions were benign, but I couldn't see the benevolence in what caused me so much pain and robbed me of a child. My own salvaged eggs, fertilised and implanted, failed to take as if they'd fallen on stony ground. Adoption? I shake my head. The hag must be able to see with those white eyes. She counts something on her fingers. And calculation done says, I'll help you, but there'll be pain. Childbirth, I ask hopefully. Much worse. Children drag you down and break your heart. No, or if you're adjourned your parenthood, they lift you up and give you love. That's just a survival trick of the young and vulnerable, the hag talks over me. You'll love them and it'll kill you when they don't need you anymore. I'm strong, I'll take that pain. There'll be sacrifice, your dreams will be subject to their needs. I've already achieved all I wanted to and more, except for this. Such success for one so young, but everyone looks at you as if you're unnatural, not having a child is the price you paid for a man's ambition. This rankles. I'm every inch a woman. Of course you are. She tries to soothe me. But I just want you to think this through. Children demand everything, even your name. And you'll be mother, first and last. And I'll be glad of it. And I'll pay whatever it takes. I have means. Oh, you will. Never fear. There's also the thorny issue of expectation. You must love her for who she is. Not who you want her to be. She... I'm already enamoured of the notion, a daughter. What will she cost me? We'll negotiate later. I don't do business that way. I won't ask for anything you can't give me. It's a reckless trade and I consider the depths of my desire. How? The hag shifts on a nest, reaches under and pulls something out. She offers it to me, a scrawny reptilian hand. I take the egg. It's warm. She leans over me. May I be godmother? Is that part of the payment? No, she sniffs out of her. I just thought it would be nice. No child of mine will be baptised. Then I want to laugh. I'm clutching an oversized egg, having accepted help from a mad squatter, and I'm rejecting religion as a fiction. That's probably wise all things considered. Now this is what you must do. I consider my egg, its speckled pattern, its curves, strange weightings and remarkable calcium formation that's both delicate and robust. More conundrums are hidden within, viscous birth fluids designed to be consumed, the oak rich in unfulfilled life. It hurts but I'm determined. I put my egg inside me, its tip nestles into my cervix. Not for nine months. That would be ridiculous. Just long enough for my trembling DNA, during an extinction, to permeate the shell and scramble the genes within. Once retrieved, I hold it up to the light, but I can't see the outline of a child. Egg and I embark on a course of antenatal education. I read a Machiavelli and Chomsky. I play a Debussy and Chopin. We watch French films and listen to Cantonese language tapes. An egg will be more equipped for life than I. Then finally, here she comes. The shell cracks, the tiny life thumping its way out. Fragments come away, tethered by a membrane. I pick up my featherless chick, who's pink from my labours. It is a girl, goose pimple skin as if plucked. I rub her and swaddle her in a warm town. Her ribs are exquisite curves. Her nails are minuscule and pliable. Small for her age. Little chick. The hag's right. She said I'd have a mammalian response. My breasts engorge and leak. Chick's mouth puckers as she tries to plunder an ocean, but she can't latch on. I prepare formula milk in a flap, fearing she'll starve. It dribbles down her chin as if it were poisonous to keep her in. I sit through the night, exhausted, waiting for the flood of love, the tugs of blood that will sustain me while she cries with hunger, but nothing comes. Chick has dark, bulbous eyes. Her hands are drawn up before her, like useless appendages. I cry as I hold her, this culmination of all my wishes, and I know that she's not right. I go back to the hag. You lied. I'm not so astute. I've been duped. You wanted a child and I gave you one. She peers into the bundle of blankets in my arms as if to see if, as if to see if, ch- if chick is a child after all. What's her name? Eloise. The hat makes a non committal noise. She's not I struggle with the word normal. Life's a loss for she shrugs. You can't swap her can't bring up a child like this, one that requires sacrifice. The clouded corneas don't conceal the mockery in her eyes. I can't stand her crowing, and I won't concede defeat to a mad old crow, but something makes me swallow my indignation. Help me, I hold her cup. She won't feed. The hag beckons me over with a curled talon. There's nothing for it. I cradle chicken one arm and dig with my free hand. My manicured nails break. Earth clogs my diamond rings. I hate worms. Eyeless, skinless, boneless, each are on the ground. My excavation brings one up. It rises in protest, clamped between my thumb and forefinger. The longer I look at it, the harder it becomes. Chick screens are fell, faded to a mule. She's fatiguing without food. I put the worm in my mouth. Then I'm sick. I find another, this time gagging as it flails against my palate. I managed to keep it in its I manage to keep it in despite the spasms of my throat. I chew. I put my mouth to chicks and drop the masticated mess in, and her eyes brighten with excitement. She all but sings More, 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 please, mummy, more. Chil- chick gulps it down her mouth opens straight away in readiness for the next portion and she won't be tricked by anything mashed up with a fork it must be from my lips i search the i search for the bug sheltering between the stones of the garden walls for earthworms hiding in the flower beds i hug my torch like the slugs that brave the path by night i retch and vomit my little gannet's insatiable So where was your daughter born? Abroad. The new paediatrician seems satisfied with the answer. And how old is she? Seven. And she doesn't talk at all? No. Toilet trained? Can't you brother read a records before you called us in? I want to snap at him. But I've resolved to be less prickly. He's here to help. Allegedly. No. Chip trembles as I undress her. The doctor measures her height, weight and her head circumference and then plots her poor development on a chart as if it wasn't self-evident. I see that no one's been able to identify Louise as having any particular syndrome. He flicks through a file. No, but don't say it too loud because I haven't told her yet. That makes him look at me. Chick, defined diagnosis, has been reduced to a list of problems in her medical records. Poor growth, mental retardation, microcephaly. Pop Eloise on your knee. Chick doesn't like to be held, even by me, but faced with a stranger, she tries to hide her head under my arm. The doctor wants his hand around a ribcage to the hollow depression at the centre of her chest. Eloise is more than patient tested Come and see. Chick's chest x-ray reveals the white lines of the ribs sheltering the shadow of the heart and the dark hollows of the lungs beneath. Look at this. At what? It's a furuncle. Pardon? Here, he points with his pen. The clavicles are fused together. They should be t- attached to either side of the sternum. In English, please. She has a wishbone. Perhaps you should make a wish. Then he looks at Chick, who's hiding under his desk and flushes. I make up a porridge of oats, seeds, and rice milk. Chick still gorges on worms, but I've coaxed her into other things, although there's still an exhausting list of what gives a diarrhea, tummy pain, and hives. Chick plays around my feet. Play is an exaggeration. She's not interested in toys. Not alphabet bricks, not the puzzles in a plastic, in bright plastic that are waiting to be solved, or a menagerie of stuffed toy animals. She wanders unoccupied, then comes to stand beside me when she needs reassurance. The tongue clicks when she wants my attention. Click, click, click. I hear the sound in my sleep. Chick doesn't like cuddles. Once I thought she was trying to kiss me. I let down, eager to receive it, and got a mouthful of a chewed spider instead their at affection. She never looks at me directly. Sometimes I want to shake her and shout just to make her meet my gaze. I spoon the porridge into a small mouth setting its receding jaw. Chick's face is narrow, her eyes large, ears low and her nose beaked. People find nothing endearing there. They either look away or simply stare. I used to think Eloise will never be a businesswoman, a scientist or a pilot. She'll never paint or write. She'll never be friend, lover, wife, or mother. Now I think Eloise will never feed herself. She'll never take herself to the toilet or dress herself. She'll always be at the mercy of others. She'll always need me. I'm trying to imagine this life stretching out ahead of us. I'll wring the hag's neck if I ever see her again. I'll wipe Chick's face and hands sponge porridge into her hair, sponge porridge from her hair, and she hops around once freed from a chair. Click, click, click. The foil strip crackles as I pop out a tablet. I swallow down my daily dose of synthetic happiness with coffee, sweetened with synthetic sugar. Click, click, click. Chicks vocal this morning. She does, She bumps against my legs. Her clicks have risen to a series of chirps. She hunches her shoulders and and bobs her head. I turn away. She's fed, watered, her nappy clean. I've met her needs. I wonder what it'd be like if I walked out. Nannies never last longer than an afternoon. Eloise gets too upset without you. She just sits and cries. It's not fair on her. I imagine myself walking down the street, the luxury of going into a cafe to drink coffee and read a book. Click, click, click. Even though I folded back the kitchen's huge glass doors, there's no breeze to ease the stifling heat. Click, 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 click. I could be picking out a dress and deciding where to go for dinner and with whom. Chick's clicks had become a sudden high-pitched squeal. I I turned to see a cow in the corner, a cat crouched before her, scratch marks across Chick's face. Blood wells up where the claws scored her skin. The cat bats at her again with its paw. This hunter must have crept in while my back was turned. I shout and it looks over its shoulder, annoyed at being interrupted. It's a big, sleek tom, all black with white whiskers. I shout again and it turns and stands its ground, back arched, spitting and hissing, unwilling to relinquish chick. Her eyes bulge with fear and her mouth hangs open. Bloodstone drool drips from her chin. Chick's hurt cuts through my shock. I pick up a pan and fly at the cat hissing back. I'm almost on it, screeching and stamping when the cat decides I'm too much for it to take on. It's a poor scramble on the tile floor for purchase as it flees between the legs of the kitchen table and chairs. I pick up Quivering Chick, Blood stains my dress. The worst thing's the sound, the shapeless keening. How could you let this happen to me? The hag was right. It hurts. At 12, Chick has a young child's body. There's no signs of puberty and in truth I'm glad that I don't have to deal with her having periods as well as everything else. She is changing though. Chick's acting strangely. Social services would have a field day if they could see her. I've delayed her hospital appointment for fear that someone might examine her and see. She's taken to climbing onto worktops, bookcases and tables. She leaps and lands with a heavy thud, lying on the floor looking stunned. Her bruises are are a spectacular range of colours, which never fail to make me wince. I'm exhausted from the constant vigilance supervising requires. And that's not all. She stopped eating, just like she did as a baby, as though sickening for something. I've tried bugs and worms again but she won't take them from me. She's listless. She won't splash around in a shallow bath and she doesn't click her tongue or follow me. I undress her for bed. She's lost more weight. I remember holding her in my hands when she was born and I was able to take her to the doctor in the morning regardless of all the bruises. But that's not everything. There's a skin. I slip a nightdress on and over the ugly, thick hairs on her back that are so tough that they take pruning shears to cut through them. The cotton slips down to cover the fine down on her belly. I lock the door and lie beside her on the mattress that I've put on the floor. It's the safest way in case she gets up at night. There's nothing left in here for her to climb. I'm woken intermittently by Chick who spends his sleep in motion. Her arms twitch and she wakes with a jerk as if falling, followed by a dialogue of clicks as if she's telling me her dreams. The grey light of morning comes in. There's a sound at the window, like a pebble being thrown by some Lothario below. I once had a lover who did such things, imagining self-romantic. Oh, the memory of sex. She used to get too upset if someone spent the night, or even an hour while she slept. Afterwards, she'd shy away from me as if I was tainted by a scent that ablutions couldn't remove. The noise comes again a series of short, sharp raps. A pecking on the glass that chills my skin. Something wanting to be let in. I part the curtains. A shadow flutters against the pane. Its wings are blur. Not a ghost, but a sparrow. The hag's back. I listen to chick's ragged breathing and I want to have it out with the old bitch. I put a coat on over my pyjamas and pull on boots. I put a sweater on chick and swaddle her in a quilt. She's featherweight when I pick her up. Her eyes flutter and then open and she looks through me with dead eyes before she closes them. The barn's cold. I can see the shape of my breath. The hag's nest has been reduced by time to to a rotten pile that reeks. The hag doesn't seem concerned, it's her throne. I want a word with you, you cheated me. The hag has an age where I feel the weight of the last 12 years. She still wears a riot of once white rags. She's unique isn't she? The hag clucks and coos like a proud parent. You can't remake her in your own image. She's a self entirely, not children for you. Chick's awake now, alert. She wiggles, wanting to be put down. Eloise, the hag calls. She only answers to Chick. The hag smiles at that. Chick, come here. And I hate that Chick goes to her without hesitation. She'll do nicely. For what? Our bargain. You don't want her. I'll take her back as payment. No. Don't tell me you've never thought of smothering her with a pillow or drowning her in the bath. I can't deny it. The hack's fingers roam over chick. She's fair payment. She has what my other fledglings don't. A wishbone. I've been wishing on it for years, I laugh. It's useless. The hag's quick as a whip. Chicks across her knees squirming and crying to be set free. Wishbones must be broken if wishes are to work. Chit's cry rises as the hag presses on a collarbone. Stop! Really? I suppose you're right. Wishing shouldn't be an impulsive thing and it's strongest when the bones are clean. A boiler in a barrel. Don't look put out, I'll be a sport. You can pull one end. That's a 50-50 chance and the greatest wish ever made. And chicks' hands and feet will make the finest divining bones. No. No? The the hat cocks her head on one side. You could wish for a child. One that runs to you, arms out when you call. Let her go. I see, you want it for yourself. Snap it and you could have a whole breed, brood to comfort you in your dotage. We'll hold your hand on your deathbed and bear your genes into the future. Children to praise your name and make you proud. I said let her go. Nothing of hers will be broken. Really? You're hurting my daughter. I climb onto the nest. But you don't want her, chick She holds Chick out of reach. I do. Every inch of it is mine. My pain, I paid in pain and sacrifice. Then why are you here? Because you made her pay too. And she's suffering and you can stop it. I can't make Chick different. That doesn't matter. I wouldn't tamper with a single cell of her. I don't know what she's sickening for, and you do. I can't tell you what she needs. The hag's stroking Chip now, quieting her. Do you know? The hag's white eyes stare through me. She's waiting. I look at Chip. And here it is, mother's intuition, 12 years too late. Yes, I know. When the hag stands, she's eight feet tall. Most of her length is in her spindly legs. She looks less haggard now. She leans down and passes chip to me, then shakes herself out. The white tassels look like ruffle feathers. There's a sudden soft gloss about her. Up here, I follow the hag up the rickety steps to the hayloft. She stoops to fit. A hole in the roof reveals clouds racing overhead. The birds have gathered up here. The panoply of to bear witness to the glory of this morning. I can feel every thudding heartbeat. Here it is, the biggest sacrifice. There really is no end of hurt. I pull off Chick's jumper and nightdress. they nappy. Her feathers are coming overnight. I'd be restless too if I had pinions pushing through my skin. Soft plumes cover her abdomen. The shoulder blades peel away from her back and unfold. Her wingspan is mighty, considering she's so slight. No wonder Chick's clumsy on the ground. She's designed for flight. Click, click, click. Chick leaps up, her feet curling like claws around my forearm. I hold her up. She's heavy, held like this. Click, click, click. I fix, I'm fixed by my daughter's gaze. She's ferocious, dignified. I bow my head. She doesn't mean my limited definitions. She has her own possibilities and perfections. Click, click, click. I launch my precious girl, and she takes flight through the hole in the roof, going where I can't follow. She tilts and tips until she catches the wind and spirals upwards, shadow in the sky. How high she soars! Thank you. Thanks for listening.
3: That was wonderful.
2: Great, great. No, that was really great. It has been an honor to be here with you.
1: Oh my God, likewise, Justin. Absolute pleasure to meet you, and I'll certainly be looking for your work again and your readings,
2: because you're great at it. And we both coincidentally had like animal-related
3: yes, things. Absolutely. It's like- yeah, yeah. So anyone who has a question, um, Go for it, and we'll post it here. In the meantime, um, I have a question for both of you. How has your med- medical training informed your writing? Does it ever get in the w- way of your creativity? Do you want to go first? You Justin?
2: Uh, I'll go. I don't know if I want to, but I'll go. But uh, um, <laughs> I remember, so I grew up reading Michael Crichton, right? And I remember... Um, uh, that he, you know, that published when he was in medical school. So as I was going through medical school, I was like, "All right, are, are are you doing as well as he as he is?" But the the point of it in that one of his um, memoirs, I think, uh, travels. You know, he was saying that one of the things that he, when the points when he realized that he couldn't do both, was then when he was interviewing a patient or talking to a patient, and his mind went to, you know this person this would make a good character in a story and he was was like you know what he wants was that fair to the patient you know so I've kept that in mind and I've also kept that in mind in terms of like letting my my experience um, going through medical school uh, and now being more you know um, my past left me to has uh, led me to psychiatry so it's it's less broad than it was back there but in terms of you know separating what it is that I do as work from what goes into my um, fiction in that sense of making sure that my overall experience informs what I put on the page in terms of from a responsibility standpoint you know knowing that those experiences are going to inform the type of things that I talk that, that I that I write about you know and like first story I read perfection of Teresa Watkins dealing with somebody who has like schizophrenia and Knowing from my experience that, you know, uh, what the, what people, um, dealing with that face and kind of the, the, the kind of societal battles that they have to go, go against, um, and being aware of that and acknowledging that and honoring that on the page. Um, but also at the same time, you know, when I'm with my patients, making sure that I'm there fully as like, as as, as Dr. Key, Dr. Justin Key, and not like as, uh, you know, um, You know, in a voyeuristic sense, you know, Um, so I like to keep those separate in that sense, though, you know, what my me as a writer and my experiences, that's naturally going to be there. I'm naturally going to have like knowing, being kind of involved in medicine, being involved in psychiatry, kind of having that knowledge of what's going on in society from that standpoint. Um, and it really does kind of inform in terms of like ideas, et cetera, et cetera. But I do like to push back against for myself if that thought ever arises, which it doesn't really too often because I've trained that like in that space while I was a patient, like it's like, oh, this is make an interesting story, No, I quell that, you know, mm-hmm. and then that that comes later, you know, um in a different in a different setting because I can you know in both ways be responsible and be true. To in one setting, my patients, and then in another the setting, like the people who read this and the people who might look to this and say, you know, uh, what I want them to say is I feel heard in this. You know, the second story I read, like I had like a better reader say, like I felt, I felt heard in terms of like with my anxiety and panic attacks and things like that, and that's what I want to do. That's what I want to invoke. So, I long uh, short answer to that would be. I feel like it gives me a, a greater sense of responsibility, like in terms of like, I have knowledge in this, let me do good and not do harm. Do harm, there we go.
3: <laughs>
2: I'd certainly agree with that. Obviously both Justin and I took
1: an oath and confidentiality is a huge part of what we do. respects respect right. people's stories and obviously we, that's, that's a trust we can never ever break unless we want to be I, I certainly, you know, I don't want to be in front of the GMC, the General Medical Council, explaining that. Um, so, yeah, you know, we respect people's privacy and confidentiality, absolutely. But I think um, I, I think both, I mean, I'm a, I'm a GP and obviously you're a psychiatrist. But I think for both of us, we're very closely involved in people's stories. And, and that's a very privileged position. But I think I'm always, first and foremost, as a GP, interested in people's stories because obviously that informs how you deliver medicine. Um, if you don't understand the story and where people are coming from and what their own belief system is and what we're suggesting for them, how that affects them. Um, so I, I think always wanting to know the story is that a big part of it and I, I think that easily carries into fiction when you're thinking what is this person's story, you know, what you know you know what is their motivation darling you know but um you know in terms of thinking about where characters are coming from and why um and also just observing life you know uh, we're, we're in that privileged position of, of being up and close against people's lives all the time and even just little tiny things little tiny observations of life um a crucial You know and and in terms of work i think that's really important i mean i i don't have any problems sort of separating the two um but i agree about responsibility and i think particularly for psychiatry you know where mental illness has been both sensationalized and and vilified and you know you know i've got very strong feelings about how people who are outside the system are presented um you know so I, I think having responsibility to do that accurately is really important you know and being an advocates for for the way that is presented is crucial i
0: think yeah. i, I want to have a, a jumping off point with something you said justin um you know mental illness is sometimes portrayed badly in fiction um do you have any advice for writers on writing about mental illness or books or films that you think uh handle this well?
2: Um uh, one of the things I would I, I would recommend in terms of entering any space where you know that isn't your lived experience. And even and I say, even if that is your lived experience, um uh, I think that there's you know different Phases of writing, you know. There's the exploratory phase. There's, you know, revising, like finding out what it is really about. But the important part is, you know, opening opening it up and like in a safe space, like seeing other people's getting other people's eyes on that, you know, and 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 getting perspectives to to make sure that you know your own biases and your own assumptions that you're bringing to the table you know, how do they manifest on the page? And do they manifest in potentially, you know, negative ways, you know? Um, and I think that that's, that can be a way to kind of go about that versus, you know, cause I could say some of the things that are common tropes, like in terms of people with mental illness being, you know, more prone to violence, when in reality, they're uh, more likely to be uh, victims of violence, you know? So it's, so being aware of some of those things and not only, you know, if you're starting off from where your perspective is from, uh, from, from broader from media and, you know, kind of some of the stereotypes and culture, it's, you know, you could be perpetuating things that are harmful to people, you know, and it's a, yeah, it, 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 it could be a sensitive thing. But if you approach it from something in terms of like, I want to, bring this perspective to light or like tell this person's story from their perspective, as opposed to like, oh, it would be cool to have somebody who hears voices, you know, um, recognizing what lens you're coming from, uh, I think is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, oh, I'm gonna I'm going to mention it later, I'm probably going to cheat and use Google while I'm doing this. But I remember there was a, uh, a series or a book written um, by somebody a, a protagonist with borderline personality' sort of written by somebody who has that as a lived experience um and I, re- I thought it was really and that because of those traits like this person was was um, recruited to be part of like kind of like a, a superhero type society you know because and, and I felt that it was really powerful in taking things that um, could sometimes colloquially be seen as, maybe negative characteristics and turning those into positive while still recognizing that they were hard for the main character. Um, yeah. really quick off the top of my head I remember I think the the I think the the most the most um, recent uh, um, interpretation of the invisible man I think the the movie that came out recently, I remember watching it during the pandemic I thought that did I, I thought that did really well in terms of like, Um, somebody who went through trauma, um, and in terms of the effect of trauma and that anxiety that comes with being a victim of trauma, um, I thought that that movie did that really well, while like also still being like this this slasher horror. um, uh, I thought that that did that actually really well. But let me see if I can find that um, so that I can give credit to that to that author that I thought did that really. Have you seen the Babadook, Justin? I have not. I have not heard of it, but have. Just in terms um, have you seen it, Ellen?
3: Yeah, and I had the pop-up book. <laughs> in yeah. terms of a woman who's, who's
1: sort of traumatized and, and depressed and, and living with a son who's very, very challenging.
3: It reminds me of your story.
1: Yeah, also great, good horror. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed yeah. that, I thought it was really good. Um,
0: yeah. Speaking of horror, um, How has the pandemic affected your creative output? And, like, have you changed your behaviors or patterns to?
3: Yes.
1: I I think I've been coping with the pandemic by when I'm not at work having lists. I've been driven to sort of list making behavior, which has been, you know, a bit of a list maker anyway. But, and I think having. Tasks and I think having writing tasks and deadlines actually has been pretty good for me. Um, in that you know, I've, I've been able to, you know, it's been a bit of an escape really for me. Um, and I, I don't really write, I mean, I can't, I don't know about you, Justin, but I, I can't see myself at the moment writing a COVID based story. I'm still living through it. I think we're all still living through it, and I think it's going to take a while to process that. Um, right. in terms of you know, I mean, I, I don't tend to. You know, I mean, I've been quite fortunate in, in the, the projects that I've kind of worked on this year, without any spoilers, but they kind of give me a, a completely different one's, one's um, a, a, and I can't say too much, but a horror story based around a painting. Um, another one's kind of a bit of a spin-off of, a, of um, a horror that I wrote based on an island. It's kind of a sister story. So having having different things that a completely different focus has been quite good for me, actually about
2: you, Justin? So, you know, it's been it's been, you know, uh, I think a a bittersweet year for me. Mm -hmm. I think that incidentally with 2012 2020 and and COVID um, it's been a very difficult year, like overall. Um, And I think that I was on the, the way to having you know, some successes in, in writing this year. Um, and I think that it's been at times difficult to kind of keep up with that during COVID. You know, I'm, I'm, I have uh, three children, uh, six, five, those five years old, those two boys, and a daughter who's who's three months old. Um, so, you know, as, as you may know, them being at home um, and then also, you know, continuing with my psychiatry residency, um, um, I'm uh, thankful to be at a point in my resident, in my training where all of it is outpatient work. So I've been able to do a lot of it remotely. Um, but just having, like, I think uh, the day be filled, you know, with not only like taking care of uh, my children, taking care of family, taking care of patients, and then also having to deal with all this myself, you know. And I think the writing for me has been. Um, and it's, all, it's always ha- has been, especially now, like both both therapeutic, but also something that I have to kind of give myself some grace with, you know, in terms of I think when this first started, and there was a lot of memes going around, and I, uh, um, I identify with that, like letting myself know, okay, just because everybody's home now doesn't mean you need to, like, finish your novel or, you know, uh, spend... All your free time, like writing, or do this, or this, or that, and being kind of aware of that, um, so that when I did write, I felt good about it, and when I didn't, you know, if there was a week or two where I didn't, it's like okay, you know, I'm 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 surviving in all these other ways. Um, in terms of how it's affected my writing, um, I think you know, spider, uh, you know, the, what, what I wrote from Spider King was written largely during this time. Um, I think I wrote it in. Uh, the spring of this year. Uh, so right around that time when we when we were at home, I don't know if uh, it, it was a good, I think, escape from COVID. I have written the COVID story, which is basically kind of like a futuristic, what is the result of where we are right now? And I think that was in, in some ways, like dealing with kind of my own, you know, uh, anxieties about kind of where this is going, um, what's going to be kind of the end result. Uh, what is a future where, you know, this may not go that well, but it's still we adapt to it and how do we cope to it and how do and what stories still come out of that? Um, and I think that may they may end up being just for me um, or that might end up being out, out in the world. Um, I'm not sure yet, but that was the only one that's kind of incorporated that. Um, otherwise, right now it's it's like, all right, COVID's over here, you know, um, let's let's explore these other, to- these other topics and try to kind of. To, to, to not let that consume my mind too
3: much. Matt, how about you? How has it affected you in your writing? Um.
0: So there were a couple of stories that I had to stop working on because I think they went into a really dark place and and, and the world, like the, my everyday experience was dark enough. <laughs> so um, I, I couldn't, I, could, I had to put them aside, but... Um, I, I think um, kind of kind of like what Justin said in, in the sense of like having a routine was really important for me, like having stuff to do every day uh, because of COVID and various situations changing with, um, you know, day-to-day stuff that we have to do. Like my wife works for the school system and they keep the opening and closing the schools and then remote. So it was, it was like my daily schedule was constantly shifting. So I think, you know, as a creative person, that's hard because for, for me anyway, I like I need to have that routine of doing it. But um, I, I find that when I'm, when I'm working, uh, it's, it's good for me psychologically. Like I, I forget about all the stuff that I'm worrying about. And then I just, I get really focused on the work. So it's, it's just important for me to have something to do and be creative and constantly working on that. Um- So we have we have a question from, uh, from Gay Terry for you guys. Uh, Gay asked, um, so when you read other writers, do you find yourself analyzing their mental state? Um, no <laughs>
2: I, I, it, It's also kind of, a, um, uh, you know, I, I my work, and I enjoy my work, Um, uh, but my work as a psychiatrist is to, to do that, you know Um, that is part of it. You know, I try to think of it as more than that in terms of aligning with patients, like being as much as I can, a part of their story and kind of working with them and walking with them. But that is part of the work. And I, and it can be, it's rewarding, but it can, like any other work, it can be draining. And I think that if I wasn't able to kind of turn that off, like if, you know the same thing with like when I leave the clinic, like everything that you know, my friends, my wife, my kids say. You know I can't, I, I can't have it from the perspective of like, hmm. You know, what? How would I type this up in like a, a, a uh, you know, in a medical record? So um, in the same light, you know, when right when, when reading, I, I don't find myself saying, okay, what does this say? About the person's psyche, you know, I may find myself, in terms of as a reader, like like wondering what this says about the person's perspective in the world. And I don't think that that's from my um, background as a psychiatrist, but that's just the background as a person, you know, in terms of, you know, what 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 might the author be trying to say um, if they're trying to say if they're trying to say something. Uh, but you know, I, I wouldn't um, necessarily want somebody to you know try to kind of make analysis all with me and you know in terms of the things that I write, you know, in the same way that you look at the perfection of Teresa Watkins, the main character in there is going to be very different from the main character in Spider King. Um and I don't think necessarily either one of them, like if you analyze them, is going to give you uh much insight into who Justin is. It might be insight into how I understand the world the, the world. But I think that comes from just being a reader.
0: Uh, Priya, do you analyze other writers? a
1: great question, and I love Justin's answer because I, I agree completely with that. I think when you're, you're immersed in a book anyway, I think you're there for the ride, and with great writing, you don't see the author, you see the story all the time. If I'm analyzing anything, maybe I'm analyzing what they're doing as the writer, You know, either be it language or style or dialogue or structure or whatever. Um, But, yeah, no, um, you know, in the same way, I don't think we write to have a face, do we? We, You know, we we kind of, you might see us, you know, you might see how we see the world in a very filtered, strange way. But, um, yeah, no, I don't want anyone looking at me as a a person, particularly when I'm writing. And I don't look at other authors in that. You know, I I mean, when we read a lot of horror, what does that say about, you know, all our (laughs) mates who are writing horror? You know, (laughs) they're not, you know.
3: And as a reader, as a reader, I don't wanna I don't assume that the narrator is related to the author, you know.
2: Say, definitely you know, that
3: would be not. Possible. Possible. <laughs> I mean unless it's unless it's you know a fictionalized autobiography, that's different.
2: Right. You know? Yeah, if I ever release a story and the main character's name is Jordan and they grew up in DC and they're psychiatrist, then maybe you could be like, all right, maybe he's talking about
0: himself. <laughs> well, uh Jeffrey Ford does a lot of these stories where he he's a character in his story and he mentions his wife and it's like yeah. they just all this like fantastical stuff happens to them. It's completely like bonkers and gonzo. And it's just it's yeah, he's he's
3: I don't know how much is true and how much isn't, you know? Did he ever say did he ever say
0: well you you know that's that's Jeff, right? So who knows? But like, <laughs> there was one of them where what was it? The the I can never pronounce it. The Annals of Elin Oak or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and, and like it's a great story. People would would email him or contact him, and it's like, oh, is this a real thing? Because he starts <laughs> off like this historical document.
3: Little creatures. Yeah,
1: are, yeah.
3: Like mayflies, they have a they have a whole life in a day. It's like it's a fairy. And, <laughs> and, and Rick Rick
0: Bowes does that too, where he he, he fictionalizes his life. Yeah, he fictionalizes his life, and to the point where it's like I'm not sure what actually happened and what didn't. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um I don't remember who said it, but I, I think I, maybe it was someone like Anne Patchett. But she said, "I got to a point where I realized I was writing the same story over and over again." And do we all tell those same stories that we carry with us? Are we still are we repeating? repeating our stories over and over again in different forms. I thought that was quite interesting.
0: So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, do you find certain themes repeating in your work
2: uh, often? Let me think. Um, I do think that there's I mean, I think that there's a main thing that that of mine that finds itself into my work a lot. Um, I'd have to sit down and look at all of them to see. Um, and for me, you know, I think that uh, going through the work that I do, whether it's as, as a medical provider or as a writer, some of it is trying to, you know, uh, make amends in a way that I can't for, for like the past. So for example, like I, you know, a uh, big part of my story, if you know me, is that uh, that I lost my cousin to, to, to violence when, he was 25 and I was 17. So I do see, you know, I see him or the likeness of him pop up a lot in my stories. Mm-hmm. And just in terms of like to either give him new life or to, you know, change what happened to him or to kind of like, you know, bring somebody like him story to places where, you know, he might have not otherwise have been able to go. Um, you know, and it was it was in the one hand in the coffin that I, you know, had from Train Horizons earlier this year and I hear his voice when I was, you know, reading Spider King earlier uh today in terms of going through that carceral system itself. Um so that's something that I feel like uh you know, and I definitely have a trunk novel where he was, you know, he was like one of the you know, definitely a, a strong side character. Um so I think that there's a better way to name what that that theme may be, but I do see um that aspect of my life and my story is being like something that kind of comes back. Um, and I'm overall, you know, I'm overall happy for it in, in, in terms of like what different ways can I kind of make, you know, somebody, you know, his existence known in some way, even if people don't know it, even if people don't realize it.
0: So Priya, do you have any
1: I mean, I, I kind of worry that I, I kind of I return to family a lot and um, sort of past family traumas. Um, and it, it's, it's funny because I try and escape that and it just comes back again and again and again, really. Um, so it, it's funny. What I, I think, you know, I, I've kind of, even my sort of, my work this year, I've tried to sort of consciously move away from that. But I, sh- I can't. I don't know why. I don't know why and I'm so- we don't like the same story over and over
0: again. Well, I mean, you know, as a, as a writer, I find that, you know, and, and a reader that I find that, you know, when the author is emotionally invested in it, when they have, you, you can feel it, you know, you can feel it. And if, if there's a story that you, you really, really need to tell, that it just keeps coming up and again, it's, you know, it's, it's reflective in the work. And you know when, when when someone's faking it, you can tell. I think you can tell. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. Yeah, I think definitely emotional honesty on some yeah. level. And I know we were talking um Gates Harry was mentioning about analyzing other people's mental state and then we, we got on to um you know kind of not seeing the the writer um and, and actually looking at the work but i do think i do think we do reveal ourselves whether we mean to or not and those little bits of truth no matter how much we hide them are what makes our work valuable and believable you know and the emotional hook i mean your cousin justin you know and, and what you what you kind of write about him obviously that's something really close to your heart and really important to you and, and i'm sure readers will have a real sense of that as they read your work
0: so please get your questions in now because we're getting close to the end of the show. So if you have any questions that you want to ask Justin or Priya, please uh, please get them in now. Uh, right. <laughs> do you guys have any questions for each other?
1: What are you working on next, Justin? Um, let's see.
2: What am I working on right now? I am... I am working on uh, a horror story um, that deals with uh, and this is another thing that that I think comes into it just based on being you know um, African American in today's society We're working on the the horror of not being not being seen or not being uh, not being heard as um, being, being black in America uh, and it manifests in uh, a piece of art that kind of puts that on to the people who view that art uh, to the heart is somebody who for example one of them is a few things that happen but one of them um, slowly becoming more invisible in society so working on that right now uh, uh, on and off during this during during this during this, uh, this pandemic um, and I have a, you know, a few things coming out uh, next year, with, you know, in FNSF and um, Escape Pod. Some just came out from uh, Inter- Interstellar Flight magazine. Uh, also working on uh, with Codwell Turnbull with a few few projects. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited about that. Right back at you. What are you working on?
1: <laughs> I mean, that horrible stage of being between projects. Um, and the next thing I've kind of got um, a novella to write over the next 12 months and and I'm just sort of at that stage where I'm sort of pushing ideas around because I've got a couple of things that I could do Um, and one of them's actually around food and the other's around um, possibly around a sort of alternate sort of Greek myth type thing but I'm, I'm kind of I'm at that stage where it, everything's quite ill-formed. I don't know. I don't know about you, but you know, when you, you're you kind of trying to get up to the top of the hill so you can see and get a good view of what you're doing, and I, I'm not. I'm just not quite there yet. I'm, I'm kind of. Um, I've lost my focus quite a lot actually with the run up to Christmas, but hopefully, I mean, I've got 12 months to do it, <laughs> so hopefully, I'll be able to pull that together, you know. Um, and I've got. Um, yeah, I've got a few things I can't really talk about as yet because they've not actually been announced. Um, but hopefully, yeah, you know, a couple of things that have really cheered me up this year that will be coming out. S&F, that's brilliant. That's superb.
2: Yeah, yeah, thank you. You know, it's, um, uh, um, I think I'll be in the um, last issue edited by Finlay, so uh, excited about that. Um, and uh, also, yeah, um, The Don't Touch That uh, Parenting Science Fiction and Fantasy Anthology, Uh, I'll be in that sometime in in this year. So excited about that. I have some, I have some, uh, a novel that's been gnawing at my brains. like, hey, remember me, you need to return to me. Um, (laughs) That I'm, uh, I'm, I'm 2021 is going going to be the year for that, but I'm excited about these other i've been able to work on and trying to have grace with myself in terms of like okay you're not you haven't done the novel but it's fine you're 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 still doing other things um and i've mostly been just joyous to be able to 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 be more immersed i think in the writing community um, doing things like this being in in, in areas like this uh, it's been really kind of a uh, an honor uh, to be honest.
1: I found the, the writing community so welcoming and so so warm, both in the UK and, and the US. Um in India, you know, people have been really supportive. Um, you know, in Spain as well. Yeah, people that I've met have just been great. Writers are the best, horror writers are even better than the best. I love them. Yeah. I agree.
0: horror writers are, are great, I have to say. Yeah. Um so Justin, I just want to say you're getting a lot of love for your beard in the comments. <laughs> Is it you? Yeah. I you're uh, Mimi Mondal says, "I just want to say, Justin, I really appreciate the new authorly look with the serious beard action and everything." And
3: so then, and maybe then, maybe then.
0: Maybe. says, "I don't know Justin at all, but objectively, that's a magnificent beard." And then Christine uh, Newlieb says, Magist- 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 "Material." <laughs> So yes, a lot of beard love on, on the cover.
3: And someone was asking to see Jack. Here, Allison, here's Jack. Here's one of my kitties.
0: Jack the Jerk, there he goes. <laughs> he
3: has a couch next to lie next to me. He has to sit in my lap.
0: Um, so um, just a reminder that you can get uh, Orma Shadow here um, at the link below or your favorite bookstore. Um, check out Priya Sharma's work if you haven't already. And, um, you can get the perfection of Teresa Watkins here. This is uh, a link below with Amazon or Google on uh, your favorite bookstore. Um, well, uh, unless there are any more questions from, from, uh, our viewers or, or you guys for each other, um, I think I just want to say, thank you. Um, you guys were, were really fantastic. Uh, great readings. Um, it was really enjoyable having you. I'm glad that we could have you from, you know, uh, England and, and L.A., and um, I'm really glad that everyone was able to um, join us from uh, around the country and the world. So, uh, yeah, this was great. Um, thank you so much, guys.
3: Yes, it's been really great. Thanks for having
2: me. And lovely to meet Justin as well. Yeah, no, thanks. Thank you, uh,
3: Ellen and Matthew, for- Having, having hey, you're very welcome. It's been a, yeah. hopefully we'll have you in person sometime.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, yeah. Once this is all over, we should have you come to, to New York. It's uh, it it'll be you know it'll be a, a great day when we're able to all do that again. Uh, so so thank you very much to our viewers for for watching and our supporters and everyone and to our readers uh, Priya Sharma and Justin C. Key. Check out their work. Uh, this has been Fantastic Fiction at KGB. Uh, so Justin and Priya, just hang on. We're going to, we're going to still hang on, but we're going to end the live broadcast. So, uh, everybody have a good night and, uh, oh, happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Happy new year. Uh, Merry Christmas. And, um, yeah. So we'll see you in 2021.
3: Yes. And I'll be a year older.
0: Yes. And happy early birthday, Ellen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys. Good night. Good night. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.